This show is made possible entirely by the listeners. To see what you can do to help, check out the support box at bestoftheleft.com. Now, welcome to the award-winning Best of the Left podcast with clips today from The Rachel Maddow Show, The Young Turks, Countdown, Media Matters, Ring of Fire, and The Progressive. That was 45 years ago today. The arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends toward justice. When you see, when it goes to the wide shot at the end of that, uh, you can see where Martin uh, Luther King was standing when he made that speech, right? He was on the steps of the state capitol in Alabama, Montgomery, Alabama. The Selma to Montgomery Civil Rights March of 1965 is remembered for what happened when they first tried it. When activists first tried to march from Selma to Montgomery, they did not make it. A young man named John Lewis, now Congressman John Lewis, was among those beaten nearly to death by Alabama state troopers on the Edmund Pettus Bridge in Selma. That was Bloody Sunday. That was the first try to get to Montgomery. Then the marchers tried again two days later. They still did not make it. And then they tried yet again, a third time. And on the third try, they did it, a 54-mile march to Montgomery. And in Montgomery, Martin Luther King gave the how long, not long speech, the arc of the moral universe speech on the steps of the state capitol. And that was 45 years ago today. Yesterday in the Washington Post, that paper's big picture, what does this all mean article on what's happening in American politics right now, included this statement, um, putting our political fights now against the legacy uh, of civil rights. Former Republican House Speaker Newt Gingrich said Obama and the Democrats will regret their decision to push for comprehensive health reform. Calling the bill, quote, the most radical social experiment in modern times, Gingrich said, quote, they will have destroyed their party much as Lyndon Johnson shattered the Democratic Party for 40 years with the enactment of civil rights legislation in the 1960s. Yeah, Democrats, you don't want to make another big mistake like you did with civil rights. You sure regret supporting civil rights, don't you, the way that worked out? 
Mr. Gingrich later clarified to the Washington Post that what he says he meant was uh, that LBJ was right to sign major civil rights legislation. LBJ just shouldn't have supported things like busing or otherwise have gotten so far ahead of the country on civil rights. I, I would not have expected it, but the fight over health reform now is turning out to be clarifying. Health reform is not civil rights. This is not a desegregation order. This is not a voting rights bill. It's not the same thing. But this is government trying to take a major step to remedy something that is wrong in the country. And we haven't done that in a long time. Taxes have been cut and raised. Wars have been ended and started. Standards and rules have been imposed and they have been repealed. But when is the last time we took on, head on, a long-standing, intractable problem that is hard to fix that was not going to fix itself? Actually, doing health reform is a demonstration that government is not just for show. Government is for fixing problems. We have a government not just to give people shiny political celebrity high-profile jobs so they can win popularity contests against other people who want shiny political celebrity high-profile jobs. We have a government to work on problems that we have as a people, as a country, problems that aren't working themselves out interpersonally or in the marketplace. Government is for something. We have one for a reason. And so that's why you're hearing people now talk about this passage of health reform in the same breath as civil rights, as Social Security, as Medicare. Nancy Pelosi used the same comically oversized giant gavel this weekend that was used in 1965 when Medicare was established. Not because what's happening now is Medicare. It's not. Not with single payer off the table and not even a public option. It's not. But it is a callback to the time when Medicare was created. Incidentally, Medicare created the same year as the civil rights speech we led this off with. A time when Democrats behaved in a way that made clear that they thought government could do something. And the Ronald Reagans of the world, the conservatives, thought that government really shouldn't. Ronald Reagan, you'll recall, campaigned against Medicare, calling it socialized medicine, saying it would be the beginning of the end of freedom in this country. Graham, I promise you will pass just as surely as the sun will come up tomorrow. And behind it will come other federal programs that will invade every area of freedom as we have known it in this country. It's clarifying, right? Some people thought Medicare was a good idea. Some people thought it was the end of America. We are back to that clarity of conflict again. Supporters of health reform think that the reason we elect people to government is so that they can take on the big challenges, like our disastrous lack of a health care system. The Republican budget map they have put forward as an alternative to President Obama's agenda, on the other hand, would repeal Medicare over time, it would repeal Social Security over time, privatizing it, and they're against health reform. Universally, not a single Republican vote for it is expected now. It's clarifying, right? Newt Gingrich, who would like to run for president for the Republican Party in 2012, looks back on the legacy of government doing stuff all the way back to civil rights and suggests there's something to regret in that legacy. All the most principled Republicans and conservatives I've ever known say that they relish the prospect of a big ideas debate in this country. They relish the chance to give Americans a choice between their vision of politics and the liberal vision of politics. Through all of the name-calling and vituperation and proxy war of this health reform fight, we are finally getting down to that clear choice. Do you want a government that does something or don't you? When you look back at the legacy of government doing stuff, of establishing Medicare and Social Security and government protection of civil rights, do you regret that? Or do you think that's not regrettable, that the government did right when it did those things? Republicans are banking on the American people regretting that legacy. 
Democrats are banking on the American people, thinking we got those big things right and we can get other big things right too. It's a big choice. It has never been clearer in my lifetime. Hell no, you can't, or yes, we can. Hell no, you can't. Yes, we can. Either we can and we should, or we can't and we shouldn't. The debate has never been more clear. I can see clearly now the rain is gone. I can see all obstacles in my way. Gone are the dark clouds that had me blind. It's gonna be a bright. On Saturday and Sunday, the Congress is debating this bill, voting on the bill, and uh, of course the Tea Party protesters show up, and they are vituperative to say the least. And as some congressmen are walking by, including Congressman John Lewis, uh, who was an uh, integral part of the Civil Rights Movement, uh, they shout racial epithets at some of the congressmen. In fact, they spit on one of the congressmen. Uh, funny enough, all the ones that they shouted on were minorities. Hmm, weird. Probably just a coincidence, uh, the ones that they shouted the uh, insults at. So uh, the black uh, congressmen were called the N-word. And as Barney Frank was uh, walking by, not only did they sang derisive songs about, I guess, they, they got him. It turns out he's gay. I think we already knew that. And then, of course, they used the F-word against him, et cetera. Uh, J uh, Jim Clyburn, uh, Democrat from South Carolina, said, I have not seen this kind of vitriol since the 1960s. I haven't seen this, it this bad since in 50 years. So these guys are out and about and they're uh, yelling and screaming and the Republicans are egging them on. So three Republicans get out and put out uh, little placards. They say three words, kill the bill. And of course, the crowd's going crazy. They're chanting, kill the bill, kill the bill. Uh, and then a protester breaks in, into Congress. Okay, I mean, it's a potentially dangerous situation. And as he's saying, kill the bill, and shouting and screaming, and he's being removed by security, the Republicans in the chamber start applauding. I mean, this is out of control. This is absolutely crazy. And then a Republican uh, congressman goes out and puts out the don't tread on me. Uh, flag and shows that to the protesters. So, I mean, they're rousing them up and they're getting them heated up into a some sort of fervor that you're not going to be able to control. And then uh, they're surprised later when, oh, this, oh, they shouted at the congressman and they called him the N-word and the F-word. Oh, we didn't see that coming. That's really weird. Huh? Well, golly gee willikers. How's that possible? Let's go to Representative Steve King. Clip number six, this is what he says to the Tea Partiers uh, that have gathered. And so where we are now is, I mean, I've got to go back up and vote again against the reconciliation package, but I wanted to come down here in this little window about 12 minutes so I could say to you, God bless you. Okay. You are the awesome American people. Thank you. And 
I am overwhelmed with gratitude at the power of who you are and what you're willing to do. And if I could start a country with a bunch of people, they'd be the folks that have been here standing with us the last two days. side to a pulp. Let's take them out. Let's chase them down. There's going to be a reckoning. All right, there you go. Well, let's hope we don't have to start another country, but maybe we should, well, uh, but in the meanwhile, we're going to beat the other side to a pulp. There's going to be a reckoning. Are you guys in a frenzy yet? In a frenzy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Come on, go shout something at the congressman. Oh, I can't believe he shouted at those racial epithets. Oh, probably G. Willer, because I just didn't see that coming. A special comment in the wake of the passage of health care reform, and it's a first step. There's a lot wrong with it, but the penalty for not paying the fine, for not buying the mandatory insurance, has now been reduced to nothing. So blessings on those who took this first step. Pat yourselves on the back, and tomorrow morning get back to work fixing what is still wrong with our American health care system. These remarks tonight are more about our political climate in the wake of this bill's passage. Eight days ago, a 16-year-old kid picked up a courtesy phone at a store in Washington Township, New Jersey, and announced over the public address system, quote, attention Walmart customers, all black people leave the store now, unquote. The boy has been arrested and charged with harassment and bias intimidation. Two days ago, a Tea Party protester shouted the N-word at Congressman John Lewis of Georgia, one of the heroes of 20th century America, and Congressman Andre Carson of Indiana. And another shouted anti-gay slurs at Congressman Barney Frank of Massachusetts. Capitol Hill police confirmed no arrests were made, and there were no serious efforts to identify the vermin involved. Television, print, and radio news organizations will not be asked to turn over their tapes and images of the event, nor subpoenaed if necessary. This is not to dismiss what the 16-year-old did in New Jersey, but it would seem that what was shouted at the congressman merits at least as much investigation and hopefully as much prosecution. After all, it did occur inside the halls of Congress, a place at least as crowded as and as sanctified as a Walmart. But in a backwards, sick-to-my-stomach way, I would like to thank whoever shouted at Mr. Lewis and Mr. Carson for proving my previous point. If racism is not the whole of the Tea Party, it is in its heart, along with blind hatred, a total disinterest in the welfare of others, and a full-flowered, self-rationalizing refusal to accept the outcomes of elections, or the reality of democracy, or the narrowness of their minds, and the equal narrowness of their public support. On Saturday, that support came from evolutionary regressives like Michelle Bachman and John Voigt. On a daily basis, that support comes from the racists and homophobes of radio and television, the Michael Savages and the Rush Limbaugh's. 
Shockingly, that support even comes on a specific basis from another congressman, Republican Devin Nunez of the California 21st. When you use totalitarian tactics, people, you know, begin to act crazy, he said on C-SPAN. And I think, you know, there's people that have every right to say what they want. If they want to smear someone, they can do it. Congressman Nunez, you should resign. You have no business opening the door for a man like John Lewis, let alone serving alongside him. And if you shouldn't resign for your endorsement, your encouragement of the most vile, the most reprehensible, and the most outdated spewings of the lizard brain part of this country, you should resign because of your total disconnect from reality. There have been no totalitarian tactics, Congressman. People, these few sad people, have begun to act crazy because it has been the dedicated purpose, the sole method and sole function of the Republican Party to entice them to act crazy. Those shouts against the congressman, Mr. Nunez, were inspired not by what people like John Lewis have done in their lives. They have been inspired by what people like you have done in the last year. And so the far right escalates the rhetoric and the level of threat just a little more, and worse still, it escalates the level of delusion. The election of a Democratic president is socialism. The election of a black president is an international conspiracy. The enactment of any health care reform is an apocalypse. And the willful denial of reality by the leader of the minority party in Congress is the only truth. A willful denial, incidentally, that includes the leader of the minority party in Congress, ignoring the fact that his is the minority party, and that he represents the minority, and that despite having broken all the rules of decorum in place in this nation since the end of the Civil War, that despite having played every trick, mean and low, despite having the limitless financial backing of one of the biggest cartels in the world, he and his cronies and the manufactured outrage of the Tea Party failed to derail health care reform. Failed, Mr. Boehner. You lost. You blew it. Shame on each and every one of you who substitutes your will and your desires above those of your fellow countrymen, you said last night just before the vote. The will and desire of your countrymen, Mr. Boehner. If you're one of the leaders of a party that in four years coughed up the Senate majority, coughed up the House majority, coughed up the White House, coughed up health care reform, and along the way ignored every poll and every election result, I would think the will and desires of your fellow countrymen should be pretty damn clear by now. Your countrymen think your policies are of the past and your tactics are of the gutter. But Boehner's teary shame on you over the tyranny of the vast majority taking a scrap back from the elite, clueless minority. That's just an isolated incident. Just as Congressman Nagabauer shouting baby killer at or it's a baby killer during Congressman Stupak's laudable speech last night was just an isolated incident. Just as the shouting of the N-words at Congressman Lewis and Carson was just an isolated incident. Just as the spitting on Congressman Cleaver was just an isolated incident. Just as the abuse of Congressman Frank was just an isolated incident. Just as the ethnic slurs shouted at Congressman Rodriguez of Texas was just an isolated incident. Just as the oinking by Congressman Wilson during the president's address was just an isolated incident, just as whatever is next will just be an isolated incident. You know what they call it when you have a once-a-week series of isolated incidents? They call it two things. They call it a pattern, and in the United States of 2010, they call it the Republican Party. American political parties have disappeared before. They are never forced out by their rivals. They die by their own hands only because they did not know that the hatred or the myopia or the monomania they thought was still okay wasn't okay anymore. 
And so I offer this olive branch to the defeated Republicans and Tea Partiers. It is a cold olive branch. It is scarred. There aren't many olives on it, but it still counts. You are rapidly moving from the party of no, past the party of no conscience, towards the party of no relevancy. You are behind the wheel of a political Toyota. And before the midterms, you will have been reduced to only being this generation's home for the nuts. You will be the flat earthers, the isolationists, the segregationists, the John Birchers. Stop. Certainly you must recognize the future is with the humane, the inclusive, the diverse. It is with America. Not the America of 1910, but the America of 2010. Discard this dangerous, separatist, elitist, backward-looking rhetoric, and you will be welcomed back into the political discourse of this nation. But continue with it, and you will destroy yourselves in whatever righteous causes you actually believe in. And on the way, you will damage this country in ways and manners untold. But even that damage will not be permanent. Faubus and the McNamara brothers and Bull Connor and Lindbergh and Joe McCarthy damaged this nation. We survived, and they were swept away by history. You cannot destroy this country, no matter how hard you seem to be trying to, nor can you destroy this country's inexorable march towards the light. The Belgian Nobel Prize winner Maurice Metterlink once wrote that, quote, at every crossroads on the path that leads to the future, tradition has placed 10,000 men to guard the past. Last night, those 10,000 men fell. top item today, conservative leaders Glenn Beck and Rush Limbaugh react to the passage of health care reform by attacking and even threatening all Democratic lawmakers. Have a listen. The Democratic Party now officially is the Socialist Party. Let's make that clear. We need to defeat these bastards. We need to wipe them out. We need to chase them out of town. Stupak, I don't know how you sleep at night. America, sear these names in your memory because they sold their souls for this vote. Our enemy is now clearly defined. We know who they are, and they are anybody with a D beside their name. There's no moderate Democrat. There's no pro-life Democrat. There's no blue dog, lap dog, hot dog, back dog Democrat. If it's a D, they are the enemy. from the right has been predictable it's been uh, hypocrisy it's been anger it's been uh, the kind of rage and contradictions that we saw with the Tea Party people who were carrying signs you know keep your government hands off my Medicare <laughs> uh, a very enlightened sign to I want I, I want to be there when they make these signs up you know just just to figure out the what they're thinking well you know that that the idea of, of being able to keep two contradictory thoughts in your head at the same time and believe each one of them, you know, absolutely is one of the hallmarks of the of the radical Republican right. Well, the punchline uh, to that is still retain the ability to function, and they don't do that very well. But, you know, you, you mentioned that this outrage... And the, 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 the other thing, you know, the death panel just 
you know, now what we've had, we've had death panels. We've had death panels for the past six years in this country, but they're corporate death panels. They're people yeah. who say, okay, you know, you've got leukemia. We're not going to treat you anymore. We're not going to pay for your treatment. And, um, and you know, these Tea Partiers have not looked at the, and, the and, and libertarians in general ignore the idea that when you get rid of government, that it's not replaced by a vacuum. It's not replaced by some kind of utopian, um, you know, anarchy. It's replaced by the control by giant corporations. And that's what we have in this country. And that's what we're, you know, that's what a lot of this fight has been about. And Bobby, the I, Tea Parties, one of the things that um, Rosalind Carter used to say is that Ronald Reagan had the great gift to make people comfortable with their prejudices yeah. and the Southern strategy that was first minted by Richard Nixon and then adopted and embraced and perfected by Ronald Reagan has uh, find it found its apogee in the, in the tea party. And this week we saw the tea party at its, you know, at its rawest. We saw at its ugliest. ugliest and its ugliest. And that's, that's what I want to ask you about. What was the venom that we saw not only outside but even inside the office buildings of the House of Representatives where members of Congress were spat upon. They were called nigger. They were called faggot. Well, I'm going to say Lewis, the words. Right. And John Lewis, you know, who was one of the great heroes of the of the civil rights movement, a great friend of my family, one of the great allies of Martin Luther King, one of the bravest people who was beaten up, was jailed multiple times. And he said that he had not experienced this kind of venom since March of 1960, March 15, 1960, that he was, that Tea Partiers surrounded him, screaming the word nigger at him as he left the vote. Barney Frank had the same thing with Tea Parties surrounding him, spitting on him, uh, calling him faggot. And then you have Rush Limbaugh, who said, today America's hanging by a thread and urging that Congress and the presidency uh, need to be taught a lesson, quote, we need to do, defeat these bastards. We defeat need to these wipe, bastards. We need to wipe them out. We need to chase them out of town and erase them. Congressman Steve King and Glenn Beck said that voting for health reform is an affront to God. Okay, and they said particularly Beck was outraged that this vote occurred on Sunday and interpreted that as a um, as an emblem of the godlessness of of the Democratic Party, forgetting the fact, incidentally, that on Palm Sunday in 2005, the Republican-controlled Senate passed a controversial bill to allow a federal court to intervene in the case against Terry Schiavo. Ah, Terry Schiavo. They forget conveniently about that happening on a Sunday. You right. know, the, and as you said a second ago, Two competing ideas, two contradictory ideas. They're never, you know, they're never troubled by this fact. They simply go out and repeat them over and over and over again. The Washington Times called for the impeachment of the president. Uh, Jeffrey Kuhner, the conservative uh, pundit writing for the Times, said that the health care passage is, quote, a dagger aimed at the heart of our system of checks and balances. Sean Hannity echoes those calls for saying, saying they're calling the media treasonous for not telling the story and, uh, and on and on. And I find it kind of funny, I find it kind of sad, the dreams in which I'm dying are the best I've ever had, I find it 
You know, every day when we pick our lead story for this show, we look for what we, as the Rachel Maddow Show, um, believe is the most important news in the country. Um, and for the second day in a row, I think I speak for the staff of the show and myself in saying that uh, we can't believe that this has to be the lead story. Today we learned that the FBI and local authorities are now investigating threats made against a Democratic congressman named Tom Perriello of Virginia, who has been a guest on this show before. Mr. Perriello was a last-minute vote for health reform when it came before the House on Sunday night. As a result of that vote, a pair of health reform opponents posted what they thought was Tom Perriello's home address online. They sarcastically encouraged people to, quote, drop by and express your thanks for Congressman Perriello's vote. But the address that they posted online was actually that of Congressman Perriello's brother, who then discovered that a propane gas line leading into his home had been cut. When one of the bloggers who posted that wrong address online was informed that the address he'd posted was for the congressman's brother and not the congressman himself, the blogger responded by saying, quote, do you mean I posted his brother's address on my Facebook? Oh well, collateral damage. That gentleman um, is now professing to be shocked about the severed propane line, saying he just wanted people to, and I quote, get close to the congressman. Authorities are now investigating that incident, the cut line, as an attempted threat to a member of Congress. Then there's Democratic Congressman Bart Stupak of Michigan, who went from being opposed to health reform on the grounds of abortion to supporting health reform after the president agreed to sign an executive order concerning abortion rights. Well, today, Mr. Stupak released threatening phone calls that he says he received once it became known that he was going to vote for health reform. A little bit of a warning here. Uh, we have bleeped the worst parts of it, um, but the language used in these phone calls we are about to play for you is explicit. Congressman Stupak, um, you may be killing my um, you, you turn a coat, son of a I hope you bleed out your got cancer and die, you, you You do not, you do not um, say that you're a pro-life and then for a, a few bucks, um, you know, do turn coat and hurt the country, you I hope you die. You are a bastard and a baby killer. You will rue the day you did this, Mr. Stupak. You are a disgusting man, and I hope you're haunted the rest of your living days because you won't be a congressman much longer, so you are a dirtbag, and the country loathes you. And God bastard that you are. We think you're a devil, and you will go to your grave with this on your conscience. Was it worth it selling your soul? Stupak, you're a low-life, baby-murdering, scumbag pile of steaming crap. You and your family are scum. You ought to fill your pockets with lead and jump in the Potomac, punk. That's what you are, Stupak. You're a piece of crap. We despise you and every punk like you, Stupak. Congressman Stupak says he referred about 50 threats like those to the Capitol Hill police. Among the first to be physically threatened in conjunction with the health care vote was Democratic Congresswoman Louise Slaughter of New York. Sometime last Friday, a brick was thrown through the window of her district office in Niagara Falls, New York. Today, Congresswoman Slaughter spoke publicly about that incident. 
uh, three officers. That, Niagara was the only one we were really concerned about. One is in a federal building, which has guards. The other is in a building in downtown Buffalo, which has guards. Are members concerned about the, sure the multiple incidents? No, of course they are. I think it's a dreadful thing that we're going through. Members of Congress, in fact, are so concerned that the number two and number three Democrats in the House gave a press conference today, an impromptu press conference, saying that there are more than 10 members of Congress who say they have been threatened in recent days. Do you feel that your members are really at risk in terms of their security? Uh, yes. I think uh, we've had uh, uh, very serious incidences that have occurred over the last uh, 48, 72 hours. So how are you dealing with that? What actions are, are you taking? Well, we have uh, the Capitol Police just briefed members. Uh, uh, if they are in any way suspicious or fearful or act, see actions occurring, to report those immediately. Uh, and the Capitol Police will respond and try to determine whether crimes have been committed. Among the members of Congress who have reported receiving threats because of the health care vote is Democratic Congressman John Bocieri of Ohio. Mr. Bocieri told NBC News today that his district office in Canton, Ohio, has received a number of threatening phone calls in recent days. Yet another Ohio congressman has also received threats about which we now have some new detail. He is Democratic Congressman Steve Driehaus. In the lead up to the health reform vote over the weekend, health reform opponents had placed a newspaper ad against Congressman Driehaus in the Cincinnati Inquirer. The attack ad was a photo of the congressman with his children. Both the Cincinnati Inquirer and the group that ran the ad ultimately apologized for having done that. After that, other anti-health reform bloggers posted not only Congressman Driehaus's home address online, but also directions to his house. Mr. Driehaus reports that he and other members of Congress have been receiving death threats in recent days. And now, anti-health reform protesters say they are planning to protest at Congressman Driehaus's home on Sunday, at his home. Not at his office, not out in public somewhere where they can be seen in order to make their case, but at his house where they can try to personally intimidate him and his family. Congressman Driehaus lives in the Cincinnati area, not far from one of the offices where a rock was thrown this weekend through the window of a Democratic Party office. John Boehner, the top Republican in the House, represents a nearby district, also in Ohio. In an interview with the National Review before the health reform vote, um, Mr. Boehner warned Congressman Driehaus directly not to vote for health reform. Mr. Boehner told the National Review, and I quote directly, take Congressman Steve Driehaus, for example. He may be a dead man. He can't go home to the west side of Cincinnati. Our top item today, over the past few days, Glenn Beck has been dialing up the violent rhetoric in discussing the passage of health care reform. Here's Glenn on his TV show yesterday. Why would the president take up immigration right away after he's just punched you in the face with health care? Haven't we just been spanked? Hasn't most of the country, doesn't most of the country feel like they've been spanked overhead to the health care? You bet. I do. You do. I'm, a lot of people do. But today's most outrageous comment comes from Beck's radio show today. And the other part of it is politics. And you and I 
don't really care about the Republican or the Democratic Party. In fact, I wouldn't mind if both of those parties burst into flames. John Cornyn is the in the Republican leadership in the Senate, and he's the guy in charge of getting more Republicans elected in the Senate. So uh, when they asked him, hey, John McCain says we're going to repeal the whole thing. In fact, there's already a Republican bill that's, I think, 40 words long that just says uh, we will repeal every single part of this legislation. Uh, and it does, it'll be wiped off the face of the earth. Like the bill says, okay, do not apply any of this or, and repeal every single thing that this bill says. All right, now when asked, Corn said, no, 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 that's ridiculous. I mean, we won't repeal everything. There are some parts that mm, politically we can't really even argue against. Like, we won't let the insurance companies deny you because of pre-existing conditions. Well, it's just too popular, right? Uh, but other parts we will get rid of. So what are the parts he wants to get rid of? Uh, tax increases on middle-class families. Curious, because there aren't any. Okay, uh, then um, he's against uh, an increase in premium costs for people who have insurance now. Now, that one is really important. Why? Now, this bill doesn't increase your premiums, but uh, that's the number one issue I'm most worried about because it also doesn't prevent the insurance companies from raising your premiums. So John Cornyn knows what they're going to do is exactly what I'm predicting. They will raise your premiums. And then Cornyn will turn around and say, just as he's telling you now, he's telegraphing. You'll see, you see that the bill raised your premiums. I'm telling you, man, I'm waving a huge red flag here. They're going to, it's such an easy tag team for the insurance companies and the Republicans to tag team on this and, you know, okay, now you raise the premiums and then, okay, now you guys, Republicans, go out there and say it was because of the bill. They're going to do it. I guarantee you. I guarantee it. Now, I got, I read an article today, oh, no, 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 uh, premiums are going to go down because of this health care bill. Not going to happen, man. That is a dream. And that is a dream not going to be realized. And if the Democrats go around saying that, they're going to be proven uh, to, well, I don't know if you want to call them liars, not tell them the truth, and they're going to be stuck with it. If they, they're overselling this bill if they're telling you your premiums are going to go down, and the Republicans are ready to pounce. Point number three for Cornyn was uh, that he wants to repeal the cuts in Medicare. Yeah, really, John, go ahead. Go ahead. Do repeal them right now. Leave everything else alone and repeal the cuts in Medicare. Can you do it? No, of course you can't do it. That would leave a huge hole in the deficit, and you don't give a damn about Medicare. Your party's been trying to kill Medicare ever since this got started. They're so disingenuous. All right, so that's the Republican strategy going forward. Now, let's see what happens. You can now support this podcast as easily as by shopping online. The next time you need to make a purchase of just about anything, simply visit bestoftheleft.com and use our Amazon.com search box to find what you're looking for. The search box is located right on the side of the website. You can't miss it. When you make your purchase, we get a little commission. It's just another effortless, completely free way for you to help keep the show going strong. Thanks for your support.
I don't take lightly the right-wing violence we've been witnessing this past week in America, and it may be a prelude to something even much worse. The hideous and bigoted name-calling, the spitting on a black legislator, the throwing of bricks through the windows of other legislators' offices, the cutting of a gas line at the home of the brother of a legislator, the lynching threats, the assassination threats, the mailing of a shredded American flag doused in gasoline. All these are the acts of modern-day brown shirts. This is what neo-fascism looks like. And Republicans have been tardy and muted at best in criticizing such criminal acts. At worst, they've said nothing or egged on the criminals, as with Sarah Palin's putting crosshairs on a map where she's targeting Democrats with the reckless message, don't retreat, instead reload. And the word reload is in all caps. The wise author Chris Hedges has been warning us for a couple years now about the rise of neo fascism in America. Recently, he wrote, we stand on the cusp of one of the bleakest periods in human history when the bright lights of civilization blink out and we descend for decades, if not centuries, into barbarity, he wrote. Well, this past week may mark the beginning of that descent unless we all, and that includes Republican leaders, denounce and renounce these brown shirts. Conservative media figures were quick to dismiss reports that several Democrats in Congress have been the target of death threats, vandalism, and even racial and anti-gay slurs, referring to these threats as mere political distraction. Have a listen. Why is it that we always hear these stories when it's Democrats who are being threatened, but we never hear these stories when it's Republicans? Our side doesn't do this kind of stuff. This is all made up, 95% of it's made up, and it, it's being done to divert everybody's attention. Democrats who did this, who sort of ran this down our throats, um, want us to feel sorry for them, that they've gotten a couple of angry, you know, voicemails. But I, I'm glad people are angry. I hope they stay angry. Do you think that this is just an effort to smear conservatives? Is this a concerted effort to say, you know what, they're all a bunch of racists, they're all a bunch of, of homophobes? Well, As we've reported, the number two and number three House Democrats, Steny Hoyer and Jim Clyburn, gave a statement today about physical threats of harm to members of Congress, including the severing of a gas line at the home of one congressman's brother after anti-health reform groups posted that address online, mistakenly believing it was the address of the congressman's own home. After Mr. Hoyer's and Mr. Clyburn's initial statement to reporters today, there was this one really interesting exchange that took place with one of the reporters there. I want, I want you to hear this. Mr. Hoyer, you, you said uh, at the outset that you would hope that you could use this, make this message jointly with the other side of the aisle. Have you spoken to leaders on the other side of the aisle? Are you trying to work? We, with we have spoken. And what was, the, what was the outcome of that discussion? Uh, it wasn't an outcome per se, but there was an agreement that uh, uh, the sentiments I've just expressed are appropriate. Are they, is there going to be a joint statement? Or are you? Well, I, I don't know that to be the case, but uh, uh, we're continuing to discuss appropriate action. Are you disappointed that they didn't come out earlier and say something? You no, know, we're, we're continuing to discuss this. What Steny Hoyer is essentially saying there is that Democrats had a bipartisan discussion with Republicans about this issue of threats to member of Congress. 
And then, as you can see from that event, only the Democrats convened a press conference to talk about having any concerns about it. Now, House Majority Leader John Boehner did go on Fox News Channel today, um, and he said this. There are a lot of angry Americans, and they're angry over this health care bill. Uh, they're angry uh, about the fact that uh, the Democrats here in Washington uh, aren't listening to them. But I've got to tell you that uh, violence and threats are unacceptable. Now, don't be too unequivocal there, Mr. Boehner. Make sure you get in the dig that Democrats deserve all the anger before you distance yourself. The number two House Republican Eric Cantor also commented today, saying, quote, no one condones that kind of behavior, where you threaten people, where you hurl racial epithets or spit on someone, that's reprehensible behavior. No one condones that kind of behavior. What was actually going on while members of Congress were having racial epithets hurled at them, while they were being spat on? Because those aren't theoretical. Those things actually happened. That happened at the Capitol building this weekend. And how did Republican members of Congress treat that crowd on the lawn of the Capitol that was doing these things that Eric Cantor says no one was condoning? This is what those members of Congress were doing. They were egging them on. They were taking the signs that the crowd was using. They were waving them on the balcony of the Capitol. Republican California Congressman Devin Nunes was asked afterwards about what protesters did this weekend. The congressman excused that behavior as the result of what he called, quote, totalitarian tactics by Democrats. Today, Republican Darrell Issa, also of California, also excused the behavior as the result of, quote, bought votes in what he called a corrupt Congress. If you go to GOP.com right now, this is what's up at GOP.com on the front page. We didn't doctor this. This is actually the front page of the Republican Party's website and has been for more than two days now. It's Nancy Pelosi on fire. Fire Pelosi. Here was the chairman of the Republican Party, Michael Steele, speaking last night on Fox News. this November, they're going to pay. So let's start getting Nancy ready for the firing line this November. Let's get Nancy Pelosi ready for the firing line. I don't bring this up because I think it makes Michael Steele and Republicans look bad. Uh, the importance of this is not about political consequences for this at all. I mean, if there's one thing we know in politics is that there really is no shame. So it would be dumb for me to bring, him up, bring this stuff up just because I thought it might have political consequences if they felt ashamed of it. This isn't about politics. This isn't about political consequences. It's about real-life consequences in our real-life country and our real-life modern history, and it is serious. As we talked about last night, on April 19th, the anniversary of the Oklahoma City bombing and the siege of the Branch Davidian complex in Waco and the opening battle of the American Revolution, on April 19th, the modern-day anti-government movement is trying to get as many people as they can openly carrying firearms to get as close as they legally can to Washington, D.C. It's a bring your guns to Washington rally held on the day that's essentially militia movement Christmas. It's the anniversary of Timothy McVeigh's crime at Oklahoma City most recently. As we discussed on, that, on last night's show, one of the featured speakers at this event is the Alabama ex-militia leader who lives on government disability checks, who is lapping up the national attention right now for having called for people to break windows at Democratic Party offices all around the country. Back in 1995, on the morning of the Oklahoma City bombing, just after the explosion, a member of Congress named Steve Stockman, Republican of Texas, was sent a fax touting the bombing. He was sent that fax by somebody in the militia movement. 
Mr. Stockman later turned that fax over to the FBI. He was never implicated in any way in the bombing itself. But there is a reason that the militia movement trusted a member of Congress enough to go to him with that. Mr. Stockman had, for example, written an article in Guns and Ammo magazine proclaiming that what happened at Waco was a government conspiracy to, quote, prove the need for a ban on so-called assault weapons. Mr. Stockman peddled conspiracies that he got from the militia movement about the government planning a takeover, the government planning attacks, paramilitary attacks on American citizens. Does this sound at all familiar? Helen Chenoweth was a Republican member of Congress from Idaho at the time. Helen Chenoweth was famous for convening hearings about her fantasies of communism in the government and government overreach. A gentleman named Sam Sherwood of the United States Militia Association bragged of providing the volunteers that got Helen Chenoweth elected to Congress. Mr. Sherwood was invited to testify at Chenoweth's hearings. Despite the fact that Mr. Sherwood had been quoted saying, Go up and look legislators in the face, because someday you may be forced to blow it off. Helen Chenoweth and Steve Stockman, both members of Congress, neither of them obviously bombed that federal building in Oklahoma City. They did not do what Timothy McVeigh did. But what they did in politics back in the early and mid-90s helped create and nurture the environment that led to what happened on April 19, 1995 in Oklahoma City. Timothy McVeigh emerged from a movement that was promoted and nurtured and encouraged by a lot of things. But among those things were some radical members of Congress. This isn't theoretical. This isn't play acting. This isn't a bell that you can ring for political effect and then unring once it gets scary. Thomas Jefferson said, a revolution every now and then is a good thing. We are at the point, Sean, of revolution. I'm really now in Washington, I'm a foreign correspondent on enemy lines. I want people in Minnesota armed and dangerous. If I could start a country with a bunch of people, they'd be the folks that have been here standing with us the last two days. Let's, let's hope we don't have to do that. Let's beat that other side to a pulp. This November, they're going to pay. So let's start getting Nancy ready for the firing line this November. Words matter, right? Actions have consequences. But in politics, as in everything, with leadership comes responsibility. I do not want to lead with a story again tomorrow night. I hope I don't have to. Hi, everyone. I know you know by now that the members are absolutely the lifeblood of this show. In return for their support, I've been able to increase the schedule to 10 episodes per month. And this means that the members now are only paying 50 cents per episode to keep the show going. Now, if everyone within the sound of my voice sent in just 25 cents a month, that would be enough. But in reality, we all know that's not going to happen. So just know that when you sign up for a membership at just five bucks a month, you're actually supporting the show for yourself and 20 other people who maybe can't afford to pay. So in return, you actually have my gratitude and the gratitude of all of those who benefit from the service this show provides. For details on membership, please visit the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com. Thanks so much for your support. Alan Combs is going to have a blogger from Alabama on his radio program. And this guy's name is Mike Vanderbilt.
and he is openly encouraging people to throw bricks through the windows of Democratic congressmen, and they are. And now authorities are worried that he's the one actually initiating this stuff. He's also part of a militia group in Alabama, and he's headlining an event in North Virginia next month uh, to uh, push forward the idea of open carry guns. So they're doing an open carry gun rally. Okay, now wait till you get a load of how scary this guy is. And at the end of the clip, I'm going to tell you an awesome irony to his life. All right, let's listen. You're advocating that people go and break the windows of Democratic Party headquarters and Congress people. Is that correct? No. Oh, now you just uh, you just conflated there, Alan. What I said was exactly what you quoted, which is uh, that uh, people should take, uh, uh, if they wish to send a message that Pelosi could not fail to hear, they should break the windows of local party headquarters. All right. I did not call for the destruction of Congress critters windows, nor uh, any targeting of any persons whatsoever. Well, wait, well, you did say, so if you wish to send a message that Pelosi and her party cannot fail to hear, break their windows. Break them now. Break yeah. them and run to break them. Uh, again, break them under cover of night. Break them in broad daylight. Break them in a wait. Arrest in willful, principled civil disobedience. Break them with rocks. Break them with slingshots. Break them with baseball bats, but break them. Sort of literary, ain't it? Oh, it's... Sort of literary, ain't it? Uh, it? I think one could read that to mean you want to break Pelosi's windows, the way you phrase that. I say Pelosi's party, and I specifically say county and city headquarters. And you cannot make any more of it than that unless you try to... Uh, All right, let's, let, let's, let's uh, leave it at that then. You want to go and you want people to take rocks and slingshots or whatever and break windows at Democratic Party headquarters in various counties, correct? You're, leave, you're leaving out the predicate. And the predicate is this tyrannical uh, bill. You are inviting people to break the law by breaking windows, aren't you? In a country where law is tyranny, it is Every, In other words, law you, you'll, is, so you decide which laws are tyranny. Should we have no laws? I think are all founders, laws tyranny, or just the laws you don't agree with? The founders would certainly call this tyranny. Only the laws you don't agree with, you're claiming the founders would say is tyranny. But you're telling people to break the law by breaking windows at Democratic headquarters. You're telling people to commit act of vandalism. May I, may you're I support, you you're supporting breaking the law. May I tell you my personal motive for doing this? Sure. I'm trying to save the lives of Nancy Pelosi and every one of these people who do not understand the unintended consequences of their actions. How are, how are her lives and how is her life and the lives of others saved by urging people to commit acts of vandalism at Democratic Party headquarters? Because they are not paying attention to the millions of people across this, this deep and ever-deepening divide who have decided that politics no longer avails them that the courts are hopelessly corrupt, and that the only way that they can secure their liberty and their safety is by their own means. I don't understand, sir. You're not being very clear to me how vandalizing office buildings uh, where Democratic headquarters are, which is law-breaking, saves the lives of Democrats. I don't really understand that. Unless wars start, and especially civil wars start, because people don't believe that they are possible they believe that they will be short or, or bloodless, but certainly that they won't have any consequences to the people who start the wars. 
All right. What I am telling you is that this country is on the is on the short fuse to civil war. And you're inciting violence by telling people to throw rocks at people's windows. I am. I am trying to get people to break specific little windows to get people's attention, which I seem to have done. In other words, you think by breaking windows will get the attention of people like Nancy Pelosi, they will then change their behavior before more severe actions taken by militias and people like yourself where they're likely to lose their lives. Is that what you're saying? I'm saying that the government violence that they are, that, that they are sending our way will be in due time after they kill a number of us answered by violence coming back their way. And you would support violence going back their way under those circumstances? If a man if a man is sent to kill me in my home, all right? If a man is sent to kill me in my home, then uh, uh, as uh, as both the Bible and the Talmud says, you know, I should arise early and go and slay him. Who is first. who is sent to kill you in your home? So when you say need I remind you that this side is the one with most of the firearms, is that a threat? You're the guys that are passing laws that are threats to us. We want to live. We want to. All we want is to be left alone. That the government should serve the people. That the government should be small. That it should be safe. That it should be limited. And if you don't like what the government's doing, you have the opportunity at the polls to change the government to, or to get into politics, run yourself, put other people up for office, be part of the representative process, rather than threatening gun violence, saying we're the one with the firearms. And by the way, in the meantime, go and take rocks and throw it through the windows of people we don't like. At the end, I guess he just admitted it. Alan did a fantastic job in there. Uh, and this, see, but that was really important because that showed you the chain of logic. Chain of logic is you're passing laws that threaten us, as Fox News keeps telling them, the Glenn Beck's of the world. These laws are threatening, they're threatening. Uh, that leads to a tyrannical government. And then that tyrannical government is ready to kill me in my home. According to this guy's logic, you all heard it right there. And if you're going to kill me in my home, I got to strike first, and I'm the one with all the guns. So what I got to do, since you're going to do all this stuff to me, is kill you first. And that's why it's scary. And you know, we talk about it in theory a lot, and then you see outbursts of it throughout the country. But here's a guy, a conservative blogger, a Tea Party blogger, who is just flat out saying what these people are thinking, which is. The you know the right wing commentators I guess including himself have people so spooked they think that we're the government's really going to take over their house and they're going to be tyrannical and they're going to arrest them or kill them they've got these conspiracy theories in their head like the government's going to come and bother trying to what kill this Alabama blogger why you got to be crazy to think that well you also have to be crazy to say let's throw bricks through their windows and then if we need to kill them and should the authorities be looking into this I. I'm going to give the biggest, of course, of my life. Of course, they should be looking into it. Of course. Man, during the Bush administration, they looked into vegans and Quakers. They're like, oh, these guys, oh, the vegans, they're, they're not eating meat or butter or milk. They sound dangerous. Quakers. You know what Quakers are? Their whole thing is they don't fight. And that's what the Bush administration looked into because, you know, they were on the left-hand side. You never know what they're going to do. These guys are saying, hey, we're going to come and do you damage. We're going to do you harm. First with bricks, then with guns. If our government doesn't look into that, and then what the crazy thing is, okay, and this is how paranoia feeds itself, because they say we're going to come and hurt you. 
right? And so when the government very, very rightfully, I hope, looks into that, then they say, oh, you see that? The government's coming for me, this tyrannical government. Yeah, that's right, because you said you were going to throw a brick through their window, and then you were going to grab your gun and do something else next. They say, oh, no, I knew it. I knew they were coming for me. And that's how this cycle of violence gets fed, and it gets fed by the conservative media. Now, are you ready for the irony? Okay. Of course, despite his charges of socialism and fascism, as Think Progress points out, our uh, good uh, blogger here, Vanderbog, is dependent on Social Security disability benefits to be able to make it past, you know, to get a make a living, if that's, you know, making a living, getting by. If you take away Social Security disability benefits, he's in a world of trouble. Get your tyrannical government out of my house, except for all the money you pay me. Okay, you want the government out. Are you sure, Vanderborg? Are you sure? Because, you know, we can get those Social Security benefits back and then see how that suits you. They have no idea what they're even fighting over. This isn't about the government. This isn't about health care. This isn't about any of these policies. This is about a social and cultural anger and hatred and fear that the right-wing media is building in the country. And they're getting them to lash out in irrational and violent ways. There is a danger coming here. And then when it happens, as I've said a million times, they'll turn around and go, no one could have seen it coming. I see it coming, it's right there. Thanks for listening, everyone. So I, I had this kind of funny thing happen, which I thought I would pass along, involving the Young Turks. Um, and I tell the story entirely to make a point about them, not about me. So keep that in mind. So just th this past Friday, a couple of days ago, I get this email from one of the staff members at the Young Turks, you know, just a tiny bit breathlessly asking, uh, you know, hey, please get, get back to us as soon as possible. Um, please send a headshot of yourself that we can use in the show. And, you know, just so you know, the, the Young Turks do um, a video show online. Like, they're not on television, but they're not just a radio show either. They, they do video online. So, so they needed a, a headshot of me, but they didn't explain why. And, and so I responded happily and, okay, here you go. Um, happy to do it. And I only found out, you know, a little while later, I got an email from yet another staff member over there just uh, following up to say, hey, thanks and congratulations for being uh, awarded the Turk of the Week this week. And, you know, again, just background, that's, you know, the Turk of the Week is something they do to, uh, <laughs> funny enough, not every week, but um, but they, they just do it to kind of thank a, an individual for doing something that they see as, you know, being either really good for their show or even for the country. Like, they'll thank people for helping to promote their show in one way or another, or they'll... Um, or they'll they'll thank like Alan Grayson for being a badass congressman. So um, yeah, so I they, they named me the Turk of the Week, which I I was like okay, cool I guess. But I was completely baffled as to why. You know, <laughs> I, I couldn't figure out what I had done any time recently to to deserve such a prestigious honor. And so I, I wrote back saying like, hey, thanks I guess, but I kind of feel like I know what Obama felt like when he was notified about the Nobel. It's just like, okay, I'll, I'll take it, but I don't know why. 
And uh, and and the, they they responded and reminded me that in an email I had sent out, uh, which some of you undoubtedly uh, received, um, just an email I sent out like a the monthly newsletter, which doesn't come out monthly, but like maybe every other month or so. I uh, I included a, a little pitch to asking people to support the Young Turks in their bid for a Streamies award. I was like, oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, I, I guess I did do that, and and you know at least one or more of their uh, staff are on that email list, so they got it and noticed. And so that that email actually went out Friday morning, and by Friday afternoon they were making a big deal about it. And so, like I said, I bring this up to make a point about them, not about me. And that's that even after I understood what they were talking about, I still thought. But that was such a small thing. Like, it was so easy for me to write an email. Like, I was writing an email anyways. And when I was wondering what what my listeners would be interested in hearing about, I thought, well, of course, like, a link to the streamies to support a progressive show, to win an award, like, you know, show that I like and put in the in this podcast a lot, so a lot of you like them as well. I thought, well, but that was so easy. Like, it, it, it almost would have been silly to not include it. But they actually they made kind of a big deal about it and like, you know, thanked me on the show and promoted the podcast to their audience and everything. And so I bring this up to say, like, man, the Young Turks, like they're a real show. You know, they got a staff of, you know, five or six or maybe even seven people now. You know, they keep they're hiring people, uh, you know, good growth at the moment. Got a huge audience on, you know, YouTube and uh, and direct online on their website. And they decided to take the time like just because they saw my email to go out of their way to be thankful to me and and you know but listeners in general like they're supported by their listeners the same way this podcast is and they made a really big deal about it so i wanted to bring that up just to let you guys know that you know I, i'm i'm going to i'll double down they're a show worth supporting you know they're very very responsive to their listeners support you know they're very grateful for it and and that is you know one of the biggest reasons why i've been a huge supporter and advocate for them for years you know i've been listening to them for five or six years now i don't even know how long um and and that's partly why is you know not just that i like the show but you know if you if you reach out and you kind of want to give them a hand they're incredibly responsive and and thankful for it so once again, you know, I think I mentioned it before, and I obviously mentioned it in the email that not everyone got. Check out vote.streamies.org and support the Young Turks for for the uh, it's like People's Choice or Audience Choice Award. Uh, it's really easy. You can vote every day between now and April 11th. And obviously, you know, I'm bringing this up because it's something I think is a uh, you know worth your time to to check out and uh, and throw a little bit of support their way. And now, of course, you know, since I'm talking about voting anyways, I want to throw in a quick mention for Podcast Alley. As I've been saying, competition is getting stiff there. It's harder to stay in the top 10 than it used to be. So it's great. You know, if it takes 30 seconds to vote. And so if you can do that you know, this month and then be prepared next month and the following, you know, it, it, it's it's such a little thing that you can do. But keeping at it consistently makes a huge difference and keeps us in the top 10 and makes other people able to find the show since we're right there on the homepage. And that's all thanks to you guys. 
And now to do my part, of course, and be incredibly grateful to the people who support this show in, in the biggest way possible, I want to thank a couple of members. Sandy B. signed up on December 16th and has been sticking with the show uh, every month since. And, uh, and Charles S., who signed up back on uh, just February 8th. So huge thanks to, to those members who signed up. Of course, it's a pretty modest expense for any individual. You know, just drop in five bucks a month in the little uh, best of the left tip jar, so to speak. Um, but, you know, all the members added together really, really adds up and uh, and makes this show possible. So huge thanks to, to those two members and, and everyone who signed up has been sticking with the show. So that's going to be it for today. Please keep spreading the word about the show. Of course, that's incredibly easy to do. Your friends will thank you for it, and it doesn't cost you a dime. If you want to stay tuned in between episodes, you can always follow us on Facebook or Twitter. If you need more information about the show, like links to all the sources or the music used, all of that stuff is always listed on the show notes on the blog. So coming to you from far outside the conventional wisdom of Washington, D.C., my name is Jay, and this has been the Best of the Left podcast, coming to you 10 times a month now, thanks to the support of the members and donors from bestoftheleft.com. Take you out